Let's start by remembering that we are reading from the Word of God. So let's close our eyes and ask that He blesses us with the insight to understand His Word. Lord, open our ears and our eyes. Open our hearts and our minds. So that every word we read and every word we hear can change us. Not only inform us, but transform us. Because Lord, you have called us. And as you called Israel out of Egypt, you have called us out of our own sin. Not for our own sakes, but to serve you. To be your people. And so now, Holy Spirit, give us the insight and the wisdom to understand your revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. I was speaking with Paddy um, earlier this week. We were talking about odds and ends and, and, and everything in between. And we started speaking about the reason we sing old songs in church and the reason we look at old photographs at home. And Paddy said something that helped me immensely in thinking about our sermon today. He said, a funny thing happens when you look at a photo from long ago. You pick up the photo, or these days you might pick up the screen that the photo is on, and you see the image, but of course what you really see is what happened on the day, in the place that you took the photo. The same happens with songs that we sing. You might stand in church, and you might sing a hymn from when you were young, or from a special time in your life, and you sing the words here and now in the moment, but of course, you are remembering the times that you sung it before. That's what gives it power. That's what makes it so nostalgic sometimes. Faith is about remembering. And today we'll read and we'll experience and explore how it's about remembering correctly, remembering things as they happen. Now, um, does anyone know what this is? Right, a few people nodding, a few people saying, those are iron lungs. If you don't know what iron lungs were used for during the uh, polio epidemics at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, when the polio virus starts to attack the nervous system, the muscles around the lungs start failing, you would be put in one of these uh, compressed chambers, head sticking out, and the pressure inside the chamber would be increased to fill your lungs with air and then decreased to push the, uh, the carbon dioxide out. And so a breathing apparatus and holes up into the 1950s, polio wards looked like this to keep people alive. And I saw, a, um, I saw an, an article this week uh, which says this happened... 60, 70 years ago. And we need to be careful about saying all vaccines are bad. All vaccines cause different, different conditions. When this was the reality of people in this church, of our parents and grandparents, our family and friends, we need to be careful to forget things too quickly. It's a funny thing Whenever we are stuck in a time of crisis in our individual existence, in a collective such as a church, 
or as a nation, we tend to do one or two things. Some people look at the crisis and they look forward. They say, well, we're stuck in this situation. The only way out is to think in a new way, to come up with new solutions. And other people look at the crisis and say, hang on, before we jump into the future, let's look into the past. If something's broken, go back to the last place where it was working and start finding the fault there. Now, of course, we need both, but I think today we'll explore how we need to remember and look into the past in the right way. And so you heard the story that Kay read for us. We've been busy with Exodus for a while. It's all coming to a head. We've had Moses and his journey. We've had his confrontations with Pharaoh. We've had the plagues. And here we are. Pharaoh is still not letting the Israelites go. Moses, uh, the Lord says to Moses, what I'll do is, I will take the firstborn of every Egyptian. And that will break Pharaoh's will. And then he won't ask you to leave. He will drive you out. And then we have the story of how that unfolds. And uh, actually, it's quite, uh, it's quite interesting how, Pharaoh, uh, how Moses explains this to Pharaoh, that this is going to happen. And Pharaoh still refuses to let them go. And then the Bible says, and Moses, hot with anger, turned around and stormed out. Now, it's interesting. The hot with anger in the Hebrew is literally his nose became red. Because what happens when you get angry? Your face flushes red. So it's an interesting uh, 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 tidbit about, uh, about Hebrew. They didn't say he got angry. His face turned red. That's how angry he was. And he storms out. And then we have the second part where the Lord says to Moses, tell the Israelites, this is what you're going to do. You are going to take a year-old lamb on the 10th day. You're going to isolate it. On the 14th day, you're going to slaughter it. You're going to brush the blood over your door frames in the houses where you live. You're going to have a meal of roasted lamb and bitter herbs and unleavened bread. You're going to eat it with your sandals on your feet and your walking staff in your hand. You're going to eat it quickly because your salvation is at hand. And next week we'll see how the story plays out. This story is so important in understanding the history of Israel and of the church. It cannot be overstated what this story means to our identity as the people of God. What happens in Passover, in the reading and the remembering of the story, changes who we are the way it changed who Israel was on that first night. The problem with memory, and the problem with memory in church, is we think we know how the story ends. But can you imagine being the first people to hear these words, or to read these words, or to rediscover them in times of crisis? The Lord saying, I have heard the cries of my people for 400 years, 
and tonight I will do something. I will get them to prepare a meal of simple food with bitter herbs. And then I will pass over Egypt and I will take the firstborn of every Egyptian, even of the Egyptian cattle. This is a terrible story. The implications are far above our understanding. We've become quite complacent. We read the story knowing what the end result is going to be, and so we skim over the details. But try to hear the story as if for the first time. Imagine yourself a slave in bondage with no hope, no solutions, no power, and hearing the promise of the Lord come to this conclusion. Some might be excited. I think most would be terrified. Through the history of the church and of the world, the story of Exodus has served many purposes. And in our modern retelling of the story, it's often served a political purpose. I remember my ancestors uh, who fled uh, persecution in, uh, in, in, in Germany and the Netherlands and France and came over to, uh, to, to the southern tip of Africa. They used the Exodus story and imagined themselves new Israelites to escape Catholic persecution in the 15th and 16th century. The civil rights movement in America in the 60s reimagined the uh, black and colored people in America who were slaves for a very long time, who were then declared to be citizens but had no rights, used the same story, the Exodus story, to imagine themselves the recipients of God's blessing and His promise as promised in the book of Exodus. The same story played out uh, in South Africa under the apartheid regime. The story of Exodus, of God choosing and nurturing and calling and liberating a people is still a big part of how the book of Exodus and the gospel is understood by the majority of people, not just in South Africa, but in Africa. Now the problem is, we sometimes jump to political conclusions when we don't know what else to say about something. We tend to over-politicize things before understanding them at their deepest level. The story told here is not a political story. It certainly wasn't for Moses. It was a story of life and death. For Moses and for the Israelites, the events of Passover weren't a game. They weren't a test run. I often thought to myself growing up when I was 15, 16, I'd read these stories in Exodus, I'd read the stories in Genesis um, of God doing these amazing things, and I think to myself, Hang on. If God is as powerful as we say, or, well, as we think he is, why did he choose to save Israel in this way? If God is as powerful as, he said, as we say he is, why didn't he snap his fingers and save Israel in a heartbeat? Why didn't he, instead of hardening Pharaoh's heart, soften Pharaoh's heart? These are important questions. And the more I read the stories and the more I read 
the stories about the stories, the more I realized that's not what God's about. God is not about quick fixes. God is about relationship. And the things that happen in the book of Exodus happen exactly as they are supposed to for his people to have relationship with him. 400 years of slavery. All those years Moses spent in the desert. All the hardship that Pharaoh loaded on the Israelites. All the plagues. Everything so that God can teach Israel, you are my people. I will not only free you, but I will teach you. I will give you a story to remember. To remember my power and my might and my love. In the Jewish tradition, oh, where's it gone? Oh, there it is. When Jewish people in modern times celebrate Passover, they have a meal called the cedar meal in the, in the lead up to Passover. And oftentimes, they'll have these things on the plate and nothing else. They'll have unleavened bread. Interesting, the unleavened bread, not because it's novel, but because the Lord says, there will not be time for your bread to rise. Don't wait for the bread to rise before you bake it. Good. Unleavened bread, some wine, and then bitter herbs as commanded in our story. Bitter herbs so that you may remember the bitterness of your slavery. A lamb shank or in modern times chicken thigh bone roasted in the oven not eaten, no meat on it, simply to remind us of the lamb roasted over the fire the night of Passover, a boiled egg, because there was a time when meat was very expensive for people of Jewish ancestry, and eggs were easier to find, easier to cook, less expenses. Some other kind of bitter vegetables, sometimes horseradish. And then a mixture, almost like a, uh, like a hummus-type mixture of chickpeas, carrots, peppers, something sweet. And a bowl of salted water, sometimes vinegar. And the way you would eat this is you would take the egg and dip it in the vinegar or the salted water to remind you of the tears shed by your ancestors. You would eat the bitter herbs, the other bitter vegetable, for the same reason, to remind you how bitter slavery was. And then you would eat the, uh, the, uh, uh, um, the dipping, I don't know what you call it, for two reasons. One, to remind you of the clay from which your ancestors made bricks when they were slaves. But two, it was a sweet, uh, a, a sweet taste to remind you that after the bitterness of slavery, there's the sweetness of liberation. A simple dish, simple food, so much power for remembering who we are, what our identity is. I wish we had something like that in church. Something we could take together 
to remind us of who we are. Didn't we have that last week? I think so. We'll say a word about that later. Memory is incredibly important. The problem is, I think we have terrible memories. Edgar Allan Poe said, if you want to remember something, no, I've, I've forgotten how it goes. If you want to forget something, make sure you write a note about remembering it. We tend to forget the things we want to remember, and even the ones we do remember, we have a hard time remembering correctly. We add on our own feelings, our own sentiments, the way we think it happened, instead of how it really happened. And perhaps we've fallen into a trap in modern times where we are more concerned with the way I remembered something than the way you remember it, or in fact, the way it truly happened. We tend to have a knack for disregarding any facts that don't agree with the way we things happened. We tend to believe in individual memory more than collective, as if my account of things is more uh, reliable than if all of us remember it together. And I think the problem is we do this in church as well. We become more concerned with how we remember God as an individual than how we remember God as a church and, in fact, how the Bible tells us to remember God. We've become quite complacent. We don't have 400 years of slavery. It's very far removed. We don't have that terrible night that Jesus shared the meal of the Passover with his disciples and then initiated the new covenant. We don't have that at the front of our minds at all times to remind us that we are part of a very long story and that we were bought at a very, very, very heavy price. But tomorrow's Remembrance Day, and I must tell you, as a new uh, uh, immigrant to Australia, I find it incredibly comforting that a hundred years after the First World War, you all say together, lest we forget. Because that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about not forgetting the horror, the sacrifice. And mustn't we take the story of Exodus just as seriously? Mustn't we say to ourselves, the way we say amen at the end of, sermon, uh, at the end of prayers, mustn't we say to ourselves, lest we forget the price that we were bought with? Actually, I think a few politicians need to rem be reminded of the horrors of war, the horrors of isolationism, nationalism because it seems like we're forgetting. We'll, 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 we'll watch a, a short video, and I hope what happens is, uh, without me saying too much, we can see the link between the story in Exodus, what God is doing here, and what we, with the benefit of knowing the whole story and how it ends, are the recipients of. So let's watch the video, and then end the sermon with a few remarks after that.
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Excuse me, son. Yeah? What have you got there? Got, got some birds, some wild birds. Really? Yeah. Where'd you get them? Got them in the field over there. There's a field with wild birds. Huh. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind my asking, what are you going to do with them? I want to play games with them. Games? Yeah, I can play games with wild birds, yeah. What kind of games? Um, sometimes I like to poke a stick in there, you know, and they'll be like going, gah, 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 like that, you know? And then sometimes I like to rattle the cage, and they think it's an earthquake, and they love that. What happens to them after you're done playing games with them? Mm, usually I've been to my cat. Yeah, my cat likes wild birds. I tell you what, I am fond of wild birds. You are? Yeah, let me buy them from you. You want to buy my wild birds? Yeah. Well, they're no good for nothing. They can't do no tricks or nothing. And when you open this gate, they're just going to fly away. How much? You're serious? I'm very serious. Five dollars. All right. Ten dollars. Okay. Twenty dollars. They're wild birds. They're exotic birds. You found them in a field. An exotic field. All right. That's all I got. See you looking at the cage. Yeah. What do you got in there? You know what's in there. Mankind. Found them in the garden. The funny thing is, they put themselves in that cage. I had nothing to do with it. So what's your plans with them? I'm going to play games with them. Games? What kind of games? All kinds of games. I'm going to put games into their life that they think is going to bring them so much pleasure that I'm going to turn the world upside down. I'm going to make right seem wrong and wrong seem right. And then? They'll be damned for all eternity. My father and I, we're very fond of mankind. I know. We want them to have access to us. So... I'm going to pay for their freedom. You want these humans? Yeah. You know they promised you everything before. They're going to turn their backs on you. Some will, and some won't. You're serious? Oh, I'm very serious. It'll cost you your tears. I know. Your blood. Yeah. It'll cost you your life. I know. You're willing to give your life. I'm willing to give what it takes. This reminds us about what Jesus did for us on the cross. He picked up that wooden cross and carried it to Mount Calvary because he loved you and me. That's the, um, the skit, guys. I've got some good stuff on YouTube if you want to uh, check out some, some of the other stuff. 
You got the gist of the video. Whatever it takes. That's what you were bought with. And having the entire story in front of us reminds us that what Jesus did and what happens at Passover is the same story. God made the decision in the time of the pharaohs to pay a heavy price. Ten plagues. Whatever it took to free his people. And we are the recipients of that same price that was paid. And more than that, we have the new covenant of Christ. We've paid the ultimate price. But if we don't remember, and perhaps more importantly, if we don't keep reminding each other, then I fear we're going to be stuck in the cage for a long time. If we don't remember, we might as well put ourselves back in the cage of damnation. Last, last bit. What God is doing, what God did in the time of Moses, what he did in the sacrifice of Christ, what he's doing now, it's not for my sake, and it's not for your sake. He has called us, and he has liberated us so that we may be his people and his servants. And actually, what God does in the story of Exodus is nothing different than what he does in the story of Abraham when he says to Abraham, I will make you my people and I will bless you so that you may be a blessing to others. God calls each and every one of us not to be free and do what we want, but to be free and do what He calls us to do. This is the vocation of every Christian. is to recognize and accept that you are saved, not so that you can remember the things you like and forget the things you don't like, but so that you may remember the story of how blessed you are so that you may be a blessing to all around you. And that is the good news. That is why the price was paid. That is why we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. So that we can show the world how steep the price was and how great the liberation is. Let's close our eyes and pray together. Lord God, we, we confess that our memories are deceptive things. 
we tend to remember things the way we want them to have happened, not as they happened. We tend to cherry-pick the pieces from your word that we like and disregard the rest. But you confront us every Sunday, Lord, with your complete and whole word. Thank you that you remind us of who we are. And more importantly, Lord, that you remind us of who you are. May you now give us the conviction to remember the story, not for our own sakes, not for our own freedom, or our own happiness, our own complacency, but so that we may go out and tell it. Tell it as if it happened yesterday. Tell it as if it's happening now, Lord, that we may be a blessing unto everyone around us because we know that we have been freed to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.